Welcome to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Kim is a psychotherapist and executive director of ICU Talks, a mental health speaking ministry. This is a podcast about how to flip your lid and learning how to reconnect to who you really are. All right, audience. Thank you all for being a part of Flip Your Lid. I have a really special guest here today. I'll tell you a little bit about Andrew Ballman. Andrew is a co-founder and director of the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma. He's a licensed mental health counselor with a Master of Arts in Counseling Psychology from Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Andrew's also the author of five books, The Sexually Healthy Man, Floating Away, Stumbling Towards Wholeness, The Psychology of Porn, and he wrote one with his wife, A Brave Lament. So y'all help me welcome Andrew. Thanks hey, for having me. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much. What time is it in <laughs> Seattle? Um, so I'm actually on the East Coast, so I'm, you? I'm with you. Oh, yes. this is awesome. That's we, great. Uh, yeah, we, we split time between uh, Seattle and North Carolina, so we're, All right. we're here currently. Yeah, well, that is fantastic. Thank you for choosing to be a part of this. And, and I'm just going to jump in there and ask you what we ask all our guests to start with. And, and that is yeah. just so curious. What life events, what experience flipped your lid? And tell me a little bit about the measures you had to take to reconnect to who God yeah. says you are. Well, that, yeah, that may take our whole time. That's it. Um, I'm out. That's, all right. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Um, yeah, I think for me, as I look back on my story, um, I think it starts around when I seven, eight, mm-hmm. um, and I started developing some mental health issues um, at that time, um, OCD, um, some depression at age eight. Um, I started uh, realizing much later that my parents' uh, marriage is, is crumbling at this time, that my mom is going numb, my father is addicted, um, betraying my mom, uh, cheating on my mom, having a secret life as he's also a pastor and mm. vice president of a Christian college. And so I think being a sensitive little boy, I began to internalize all that trauma in my body, all that was going on in my home that was unspoken. And so um, eventually by age eight, my parents um, split up and my mom moves um, myself and my two siblings to, to North Carolina to get away, uh, to be safe. And that was kind of the beginning of a bearing depression as an eight-year-old. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents not being able to language, being being a part of this Christian community that everything was always great. And then when something wasn't great, they had no language to articulate mm. um, what was going on. We just kept mm. going to church 10 times a week and, yeah. uh, <laughs> and acted like everything was fine. And yet my body told me something different. Mm. Uh, my body said stuff wasn't fine. Yeah. Um, that, that, that trauma was, was happening, that my world was destroyed. Right. And so that was the beginning of kind of the destruction of my world. And then how was I rescued from that? How was I, and this is going to sound like an odd answer, but, but I think porn actually rescued me. Um, 100% understand that. Yes. Yes. Porn was began, you know, I, I then hit adolescence, right. When the internet becomes a thing, um, and I begin to, since no one's talking about anything in my family, I begin to self-soothe. Mm-hmm. I begin to find something that will soothe me. And the beauty of a woman became the closest thing to God that I could bear, right. that I could have. 
And yeah. so I found a cheap substitute of God and it began to at least help me survive. Um, and then, you know, maybe later we'll talk about that started in porn to get to kill me. Um, and then it almost destroyed my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a sense, um, early on when I had no language, when, when my, um, you know, parents weren't able to be there to articulate when my church was not able to articulate, mm. um, the heartache and the trauma that I had. Um, and I felt so lost. I was so glad that I survived. Um, and, and that was the beginning. Then let's, you know, so 13 years of addiction mm. and pornography, um, uh, objectifying, harming women. Um, and then about, 13 years ago, um, I ended up in a psychiatric ward and, and that, you know, nearly killing myself. And um, that was the beginning for me um, of losing everything, literally being stripped naked in a, in a padded room, just like the movies and, and basically like starting over. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I read this quote literally in the psych ward. Um, let's see if I can even remember it. I haven't quoted it in a while. Um, something about the fact of, God, don't, don't seek what makes you come alive. Find out what the world needs mm. and, um, and, and do that, basically. Right? Mm-hmm. I just butchered the quote, but again, that's not the point. <laughs> um, basically, beginning to find out what makes me come alive because that's yeah. what the world needs. That's what, that's yeah. what I'm meant to do. That's my calling. Right. And so literally putting the pieces back together, beginning to try to hope mm-hmm. again, having the courage to hope after being stripped to literally naked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning, I think maybe 15 years ago, um, was beginning to put those pieces back together after I flunked out of college and then kind of go, went back into college and got my degree and started saying, I, I want to help people. I want to actually mm-hmm. use my story, um, use this big pain, um, use how I've harmed others to actually mm. help um, similar violent men who mm. are used to using objectifying women um, to find wholeness mm. and health. And so that was, that was the beginning of, of my story and how God continues to use my story. Yeah, you know, we have mutual friends, Brendan and Nicole Berry, right? And they have wanted us to meet for years. And now that <laughs> I know your story, I know right. why. You're a therapist's right. dream. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Like the the me, <laughs> and you're you're a therapist too, so you know. Like we both have some similar stories that you know. Sure. But you know, when someone walks into your door, your office with that story, you're like, I got a lifer. Like this yes. is right. this is someone yeah. right that really just deserves to get better and ready for healing. And but right. I love your articulation of all of that, and just even that your new beginning is just like in Garden of Eden. I mean, it's just it's the it's the nudity. Right, it's yeah. the it's it's getting rid of all that shame and all the things that lead to all of our behavior. Yes, yeah, exactly. what a wonderful rebirth. And that's the point, and I want I want your listeners to understand like much of my harm wasn't necessarily the trauma that I suffered, whether it's my sexual abuse, the destruction of my parents' marriage. My harm was what I did with the harm, mm-hmm. like my decision to. The, you know, soothe in the way that I did actually was was much more complex and harder for me to undo than the trauma itself. Right. And, and But with the trauma, you know, that type of rupture without repair, like we have to put behavior in there, right? Yes. I don't, yes. I don't know what you would have done differently. Right. 
Right? Exactly. We, we just yeah. try to survive. And that's, that's where the kindness can come in to my self-contempt or to my shame because mm-hmm. I can actually begin to bless that little boy that he did yeah. the best he could with right. what he was given. Yeah. And, and, and in that, in your therapeutic quest, like who do you think you were before you lost that innocence? Mm, that's a great question. I probably need to sit with that uh, for a second. Yeah. When, when I think of little me, um, and I remember doing this um, about a, a decade ago when I was diving into a, a new story that I had written about my younger self. And I remember smiling over him. Um, and remember my heart mm. just releasing contempt mm. because I struggled with self-contempt for a long time because to beating, beating myself up for the sins that I've committed, the harm that I've perpetrated, um, the women that I have harmed. Um, and yet when I was able to sit with that little boy, when I was able to hold him mm-hmm. and, and just kiss him and love him and embody God's love for him, um, that self-contempt just faded away because that little boy was good. Mm-hmm. Um, that little boy tried the best he could with what he had, and he yeah. was not given very many tools to right. navigate the complexities of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, that type of deep work and, and the reparenting and the bringing God's love to our woundedness is such a beautiful way to unburden our pain. Yes. And, and it's easier for yes. a woman, not just easy for any of us, easier for a woman to go into that modality than it is for a man. Yes. Will you speak into mm-hmm. that, what was like as, as a man yeah. to, to do I, that type of work? I, yeah, I think what that is about, um, and I talk a little bit about it in uh, my new book, The Sexually Healthy Man, there, there's a sense where women become more innately connected to their body. Mm. Men, I feel like, how do we become embodied? Um, hmm. You know, it's like, only when we get hurt do we kind of become aware of our body. And so I think we, we do life more disconnected. Um, we right. have less intimate relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for me, being more sensitive, being more in tune, and then being forced for me to survive, I had to become in touch with my body. Right. I had to become in, in touch with, with my gut, right. um, where, where God lives. Right, God is in yeah. our bodies. Yeah. It's not pop psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, I am an image bearer of God, and so I bear God's image, and therefore God is in me, mm-hmm. um, and I can connect with God through connecting with my gut. Wow! Yeah, yeah, that's so good. Even you know, and, and again, it's it's there are a lot of same equalization things that are happening now with with gender, but overall. Like men, you're taught if you break your arm and you stay in the football game, you're more of a man. Ugh, the socialization of masculinity is so evil. Hmm. It's so gross. And I work a lot with domestic violence and, and that whole thing. And we are so taught completely wrong mm-hmm. of, about what masculinity is. And it, and it turns violence. And somehow violence equates to strength. Yeah. Um, that we're somehow more of a man if we're more violent. And it's yeah. so gross because violence comes out of insecurity, not right. strength. Right, right, yeah. yeah. And just even that, and I'm sure your book, The Sexually Healthy Man, addresses that. Do you have a definition for masculinity that you would like to put out there? I don't, yeah, I would have to sit with it for a while. That's a, that's yeah. a great question. Um, yeah. I mean, the first thing that comes to my, my mind is this kind of secure um, strength and tenderness, mm, right? There's this balance yeah. of, of both and it comes out of this deep security. Right. When I know who I am, I can live out of that, 
right? right. I don't have to right. be. I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to be insecure. Mm-hmm. But yet, out of our insecurities, out of our unhealed wounds, we mm-hmm. project onto mm-hmm. so many things, so many people, mm-hmm. onto our partners, mm-hmm. and, and we project these things that are so damaging. Yeah, um, and really comes out of this deep unhealed place where I'm mm-hmm. a little boy and I'm so scared of being exposed. And normally, mm-hmm. our intimate partners. Our marriage partners normally are the ones who expose us the most because they know us the most. Right. And so therefore, if you are potentially going to expose me, you are going to become my main target. Yeah, that's so well put and so true. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the person that you're craving for that connection, and a lot of times there's a broken childhood connection, there's not secure connection. The person that can connect to you the most becomes your, your threat. Yes, exactly. Because Mm -hmm. one of our greatest threats of a narcissistic man is is that is that exposure. Right. You're going to show the world who I really am, Um, and with so many of the narcissistic pastors that I work with as well, it's just like that's part of the whole shtick. Is 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 I I look great in front of the world, and yet behind closed doors, I'm a scared little boy. Yeah, that's right. And that really is what's the core of narcissism is a scared little girl or scared yeah. little boy. There's exactly. there's some, you know, grandiose insecurity that comes off of grand comes out as grandiosity. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Exactly. So how yeah, how have you figured is your is if I'm allowed to ask, is your dad narcissistic? Is that where Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. He he was. Um yeah, he was. He he passed away um this past year. Mm. And uh his his shame um, and his self-hatred ultimately killed him. Um, so it led into addiction and basically ravaged um, his life mm, through wow. sex addiction and drug addiction. Mm. Um, and that's what came out of my book, Floating Away, was basically, uh, it's a kid's book. And it's basically, how do we talk to our kids about addiction issues with our parents? Right. Um, because right. I was a little kid who, with a parent who had addiction issues and nobody told me anything. Right, um, and I had to try to figure it out on my own, which led to this deep insecurity in myself mm-hmm. of like, where you know, rather than like, can we just root our kids mm-hmm. and again age appropriately, but just talking about real life, yeah, because kids see us better than we see ourselves, right? Well, you know, even even the idea of like when you tell a child that they are, you know, the best at soccer, or they're the best tennis mm-hmm. player. And a lot of times internally, they know they're not the best. They can see the competition <laughs> around them, right? right? Yeah, and then right. they have they have this tension. They have this difficulty of like, who who am I really, right? And then exactly. that creates even that creates conflict and trauma within. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, well and, yeah, and your statement about you know that pornography, your addiction to pornography, saved your life. Like I'm a recovered alcoholic, and it almost killed yes. me, but it gave me reason to live first. Exactly. 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 Very paradoxical, very much. Yeah. And and addiction all comes out of that same place, right? That Mm -hmm. need to escape, that need to run away from what is real. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, without a sense of of self, then destruction comes. Exactly. Right. What was your, what was your bottom with the pornography? Because again, you know, talk a little bit about the psychology of of porn, because that is another thing Mm -hmm. that men are told is okay to do. And be a part yes, of, and then it's also exactly. uh, it's also a place of addiction. Yeah, I, I think as I started acting out, and I ended up going to five different colleges, kind of flunking out of college, and um, living in the woods, and you know, I was kind of just going going broke. Mm-hmm. As I realized more and more, like 
I can't have real relationship. Yeah. And so 15 years ago, whenever I meet my wife, um, mm. girlfriend at the time, and she's going to get her master's in counseling. And I'm like, Jesus, this, this woman is a real woman. And it scared me because mm. I was like, dang, like if I'm going to be with her, I got to be a real man. And I know I'm a scared little boy. Right. And so then I started just like kind of act, going back to my normal acting out patterns and like, wait, like this isn't working. Like I can't be in a relationship with this woman. It's, it's not working. Mm. Um, so then I just kind of, you know, broke up with her, started dating other girls. And I'm sitting in, uh, this is in grad school, 12 years ago, first year of grad school. And I'm sitting um, in Dan Allender's marriage and family class. And he's starting talking about marriage and Christy and I, my wife, we hadn't talked in 10 months at this point. Um, I'd broken up with her. I was dating another girl. She was, you know, beautiful, hilarious, smart. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. And I'm sitting there listening to Dan talk about marriage. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, I don't even love this girl that I'm with. Mm-hmm. I love Christy. And yet, I, like, what am I? And I just had this real crisis of my style of relating, which was seductive. And, and I call it mm-hmm. uh, in my book, um, psychology of porn, I call it a pornographic style of relating. Basically, Hmm. porn taught me how to relate to my world pornographically. So I dated pornographically. I just kept going from girl to girl to girl, right? Just like click, click, click. Mm -hmm. You don't learn how to have genuine intimacy. You learn how to have a selfish intimacy. Right. And so as I'm, you know, dating this girl, and then I'm listening to Dr. Allender talk about authentic marriage. And I'm like, what am I, and I, what am I doing? Why can't I be with the woman that I actually love and face all my insecurities mm. and face and face like, what am I doing? The seductive style of relating the pornographic style of relating that I had. Mm. And so that was the beginning, however long ago that was 13 years ago to, to really begin to start picking up the pieces and actually try to have a real relationship and I'm thankful that we've been married 11 years and um, really started, yeah, it changed my, she, changed my life. She's got to be like an exceptional, resilient woman if she holds, <laughs> if she hangs out with you and holds her own, right? Like she, <laughs> like right. she has to have the I gift do, of right? tolerance and love and all go. these things, right? I'm, a, I'm an Enneagram eight and I'm a, I'm a challenger and I, yeah. so I need a strong, I need a strong woman to be able to take That's me right. on and That's calm right. me out. And, uh, so I knew I had yeah. to get my stuff together real quick. Yeah. So uh, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm an Enneagram eight and nice. yeah, everyone's always like, that's a bad number. I'm like, no, that's the best number. You don't understand. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> I don't want to be right. any other number. Like this is a That's good right. place, right? We're we're the prophets. We got to speak. We're truth the prophets. To power. We're the aggressive ones. We that's right, right? So that's right. Um, we got to speak truth to power. So it works that's right. well. We don't even know we're being blunt. We just we just open our mouths. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> right? And it works yeah. great for me to you know my whole practice is built on working with narcissistic men, mm-hmm. and so it works great for me. But <laughs> you know, I just got to say this to anybody's listening that, and I'm not just making about men, but he's he's saying that's who he works with. Right. If you have that gifting, you have done exceptional work because just the idea for most of us therapists to work with anyone who has what's considered, for lack of a better term, personality disorder, that's the clinical term. Most mm. of us run from that. Right. Because it's hard to feel safe and not have our own personal issues come into the room. And that, yeah. 
it's ineffective therapy. And so you have had to done incredible, incredible yes. depth of work to be able to sit with narcissistic men and 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 yes. let it be about them. Yes, exactly. And, and I think part of that is because I'm a recovering narcissist myself. I, right. I kind of like it, right? I like yeah. the challenge. I like yeah. I like the fight. Right? I'm a fighter. I love right. fighting. And so right. it's like I love taking people on. Yeah. Um, my my wife is a two. She's a helper. You know, she's yeah. a, she's she cries with every client. And mm-hmm. I'm like sitting there cussing and fighting with people, you know. Amen. So like, Amen. <laughs> and we're, we're both like, what's there to so cry about? Why are we crying? What's that? <laughs> there you go. We both do it so differently, and yet when and we work together, we counsel marriages, and, mm-hmm. and yet when we work together, it's this beautiful team of uh, tenderness and truth, and um, yeah. it's a you know it, it works out well. Yeah. Well, we, we got to talk about your term recovering narcissist because most people think that is paradoxical, oxymoronic, impossible yep. to happen. In my over 20 years of private practice, I've had one man who made incredible strides. And mm-hmm. then I have a, um, a guy currently I'm working with his wife and he has like, he looks different. He walks differently. I've never mm-hmm. seen a true, true narcissist make this transformation. And it gave me hope. But yeah. most of us don't believe that there's a such thing as recovering narcissists. So please, yes. please, please tell me more about that. Yes. And so that's that's a safe that's a safe bet because most of them don't change. Right. Right. So that's actually mostly true. Yeah. Um, and yet I've seen it time and time again, but it only comes through suffering. Mm-hmm. It only mm-hmm. comes through heartache. And so, mm-hmm. uh, you mm-hmm. know, so many times they've lost their kids. They've lost their family. Mm-hmm. They've, you know, they lost their marriage. Um, they've alienated everyone in their life. They've gotten fired from their high-profile job. Mm. And it's only after they've suffered enough that um, it almost it, suffering forces them to begin to taste a little bit humility. And that creates a crack for you to then begin to really dive into the mm. story of, of how narcissism has served them and yeah. yet isolated them. Um, but, but it can happen, but it is rare. So it has to be severe consequences. So... There's three things you're supposed to look at for a sign of hope if you have a narcissistic person in your life. One, the person recognizes that they're that what they are doing is a problem. Yes. They see the negative effect on the other person involved and sincerely want to change that behavior. And they actively do the hard work to change the problem behavior. You need to be able to see all three of those if you are exactly. someone yeah, who is exactly. deciding well not to re-engage with a narcissist. Right. And so, uh, words, uh, some advice for the partner of a narcissist, like words don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, cause they're always super gifted with their words, right. super articulate with their words and they mm-hmm. win you back. But it's like only life change because suffering produces life change. If you right. truly want to be a good steward of your pain, um, it changes how you live. It changes mm-hmm. how you engage. Right, um, right. And so no, no longer words don't matter. It, yeah. It's literally just life, life lived. And that's normally years of recovery right. as far as for a, a damaged marriage. It takes years to begin to rebuild trust after yeah. narcissistic violence. Yeah, it's so, so true. And so can you, can we just segue into the pain that got you out of your narcissism? What, what broke you? yeah. Mm, some good, good questions. I, mm. I, I mean, so many things, um, you know, I, th- I think what I mentioned before, kind of on the precipice of suicide, mm-hmm. holding a gun in my hand, um, after 
you know, two years earlier, I was student body president of my big high school. I was, you know, mm, wow. multi-star athlete or whatever. But it's just like, I, I had like went from this kind of like, oh, I, you know, kind of the top of my world to then naked in a room um, mm. stripped of everything um, right. that, you know, began this humbling process. And then the more I learned, leaned into blessing and kindness, right? Romans 2, 4 um, says the kindness of God leads to repentance. And mm. so the more I leaned into kindness is the more I freed myself up to really step into my calling. Yeah. Um, the yeah. more I blessed my story, the more I blessed my pain. Mm. Um, not, not necessarily like, oh, yeah, I, was, I suffered, but like, you like, okay, like I can become more resilient because mm-hmm. of this pain. Yeah. I can, I can bear, I can help others. Right. Um, and somehow and found purpose. safety in that, right? Because you covered yeah. up your sensitivity. When you're an eight-year-old little boy, he's very sensitive, now traumatized, right. and you, right. you let that be revealed as vulnerable. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. and that, now that shapes everything I do. It shapes everything I write. You know, I write from this place that's just, it, it, I, I, and I do it for myself. I do it for my own sanity. Hmm. You know, writing has been a, a place for me to make sense of the world. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's just so beautiful. And, and you know, anybody listening who's done the work can, can really just appreciate what you're saying because it's, there's different label, layers of intimacy in yes. people who suffer with narcissism have the ability to be incredibly intimate and it scares the shoo-shoo out of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. And you really, really exactly. face that. Yeah. Because we, yeah. I mean, so many of us, we, we just trust so few people. Yeah. You know, it, well, it's, so yeah, it's hard, hard to trust when your own dad's like just, right. he's the pastor, right. he's the pres- vice president, right? And all of a sudden he's somebody else to you. Exactly. Me now, the work that I do is so rooted in my story of trauma, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. living, living in truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Living authentically, it's because yeah. I've suffered the pain of yeah. of not by having a father right. um, who was too scared to. Mm-hmm. One of your books is out of your twenty five hundred books. One of your books is called "Stumbling Towards Wholeness," and just yes. that title makes me want to read it. And I'm pretty much anti literacy, yes. but just that title <laughs> makes me want to read it because that is my life. Like, don't tell me I got to walk. Yes. Don't tell me I got to do it gracefully. I, I, I'm gonna let me stumble. Yes. Yeah, make that exactly. okay in the church that I get to stumble. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that book uh, was, took me about three years to write, and it's mm. one of my favorite um, books. But basically the idea, the quick synopsis so you don't have to read it, um, Luke 15, <laughs> Luke, Luke 15, uh, basically the prodigal son, the classic, classic story. We, mm-hmm. we are each character of the story. Mm. Um, and when, when we are, are the runaway son, you know, we are filled with shame, self-hatred. Um, you know, um, when we are the elder brother, we're full, we're full of entitlement. Um, and yet we are yeah. each character. Yeah. You know, we're, we're full of judgment towards ourselves. And we, we kind of go in and out of each realm. And the, mm-hmm. the goal is to be in the realm of the father. And mm. how do we begin to embody the father realm, which yeah. is the realm of grief, yeah. the realm of celebration, the realm yeah. of blessing and kindness. Yeah. And so it goes through each each realm and then what we can get out of each of the characters, knowing that we are each of the characters in mm-hmm. our healing journey. Yeah, Andrew, that's so good because just the the idea of thinking about 
you know, the the son that walked away and how he's he's hanging out with the pigs and he's in the mud. And to me, mm-hmm. the mud's always been, that's the shame and the blame. That's the rejection that we just roll yes. around in and don't think. That shame, blame, rejection in that mud tells we tells us we can't walk back towards the Father. Exactly. Right? And then exactly. The, the entitled son has got just as much shame and blame and rejection. Otherwise, yep. he would have greeted his brother. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and how how much are we like the elder brother when we're mm. when we're trying to come home and we judge ourselves mm. when we say yeah. no, I'm too, you know, you're too dirty, you squandered yeah. too much. Right. True. Um, so true. And, and so the point isn't for us to get in touch with our sin as mm-hmm. much as it is to get in touch with our glory and our goodness. Yeah, the so like good. that's the, that's the hard work. The yeah. easy work is to name how bad we are. Right. The right. hard work is to actually invite ourselves home to the mm-hmm. table, mm-hmm. to put on the robe and the yeah. signet ring, right. the sandals, to actually right. celebrate wildly. Yeah. That's the hard work. That is our work because most of us believe the voices of shame must tell us we're not worthy to be at that table. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's what I yeah, that's what I argue. Then we are not mm-hmm. embodying the Father. We are yeah. not stepping in um, to embody who God is. Yeah. If we can't invite ourselves home, whether right. we are judgmental, whether we are much more like the Pharisees, mm-hmm. um, or if we are the classic runaway. Yeah. Yeah. And just even think about the Enneagram of that and certain numbers, how they would hear that also differently. You yeah. Know how, right. Yeah. Just how the nine doesn't want to come to the table because they want to be in the kitchen making sure everybody <laughs> else right. is okay. How the two wants to be helped. Like we all have our reasons, but the enemy uses right. to tell us not to come to the table. And God's like, exactly. It sounds everything. like uh, your next book right there. I'll, I, I, you know, right, right, yeah. Well, you, I don't know how you have time to write any books for everything you do, but, <laughs> but I'm so glad. You, yeah, yeah. I'm so we glad that you got are some good. Good babysitting, so that helps. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you and I are says eight. We have managed to mention four out of five of your books because we are <laughs> so skilled, right? So. So let's talk about the right. fifth, which I actually left left out yeah. a little bit because I know that's yeah. that is something that no parent wants to ever need to read, and it sounds like yeah. a beautiful place for parents with loss to read. Yeah. So basically, uh, nine years ago, we lost our firstborn son. Mm, so um, so sorry. And it was uh, forty forty two weeks, and so um, it was a cord accident, and uh, we were going to go in and. Our doctor went on vacation or something, so we had to push the um, push the appointment back a week later. And then when we went, he had had a court accident, and so uh, it was our firstborn son. And so basically, the our entire soul felt like it was ripped out of us. I mean, the anticipation. I mean, it was like a king was coming home. I mean, we were just wildly yeah. ecstatic and yeah. uh, just ripped. You know, just something died in us mm-hmm. both and just crumbled to the floor and just wailed. And um, we created a documentary. You can watch it for free on our website called A Brave Lament. Um, mm-hmm. And also the book was basically the first four months of my wife and I's grieving process. Um, mm-hmm. We pitched it to 29 different Christian publishing and everybody denied it uh, because they said it was too raw. It wasn't hopeful enough. Grief doesn't sell. Wow. And I was just like, no, you guys don't get it. I couldn't read a single one of your Christian grief books mm-hmm. because I needed something bloody. Yep, I needed right. something that wasn't hopeful, yeah. that didn't just put a nice little Jesus bow on it, 
I needed something bloody that could accompany me in my darkest Mm. moment. Mm -hmm. And so we wrote this book and it is a raw a look at questioning God, cursing God, longing for God to show up. Yeah. Um, all of the above. Um, yeah. And it saved our life. Yeah. Um, because, and we've heard from people all around the world just thanking us um, because they have something that can accompany them. The only book, yeah. book I could read was uh, Dr. Nicholas Walterstorff's Lament for a Son. And it was mm. written in the 80s about his son he lost in a climbing accident. And that was the only book that I could actually stomach that wasn't yeah. just filled with platitudes. Right. Um, and and I wanted something. So we created it. And so we just published it ourselves. And um, so glad we listened to God yeah. and just did it because it has accompanied so many people. And uh, the film as well is just more shows kind of the journey through our community in Seattle, mm-hmm. how they held us. And, you know, we were just in, in our friend's home for a week and we just all grieved collectively. And mm. um, it was had over 200 people at his funeral and mm. we buried him with our bare hands. And, you know, it's just this yeah. really up close and personal look of what journey through grief to honor mm-hmm. grief, to be mm-hmm. able to become human again looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, just thinking of that, that you went to 29 Christian publishing companies mm-hmm. and how they said, we can't do this because it's it's real. And then thinking about your childhood mm-hmm. and always being in church, but not allowed to be stumbling, not allowed to, yes. right, right, to lament. And just exactly. how, right, how that comes together with the most important thing in your life as an adult. Yes, Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then left leaves me with no choice of I got to this. That's right. I got. I got to. I got to. I got to yeah. do this. I got to obey. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, just telling our story, especially the fat me putting the film out there, me and my wife putting the film out there, help us feel less crazy. Right. Because right. now I don't have to bear that story alone. Mm-hmm. That other people can journey along with me without me having the emotional labor mm-hmm. to continue to tell that story. You mm-hmm. can just witness that story. Yeah. And so before COVID, you know, my wife and I would travel a bunch and show this film to church communities mm-hmm. and the most amazing responses all over in the United States of like, you know, probably groups of 40 or whatever, or huge groups, but like people are weeping. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we're doing this group therapy session to these church communities and everybody's popping up, telling about their losses, yeah, telling about yeah. their grief, telling yeah. about their stories of grief. And it's like, where in the church have we seen this invitation mm. to step into our grief mm-hmm. and collectively um, grief without grieve without shame. And it's, it's been a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. And so uh, COVID mm-hmm. kind of stopped that, but hopefully we'll pick that back up when we're done with this. Thing. Yeah, absolutely. It's so so necessary, and 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 just mm-hmm. the, you know, because your son's name was you named his middle name was Brave. Yeah, so Jackson yeah. Brave Bauman, and yet we called him Brave, and so yeah, uh, yeah, that was, I love that. And so the name yeah. Brave Lament, you know, what mm-hmm. a beautiful way to to honor him. And yes. again, it goes to it's 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 action, especially with you and your personality and who you are. Like it's about the action, if it's not there, you're going to create it. And you did that so other people yes. don't have to. Because it, we are called, biblically, to co-labor. Yes. Right? Exactly. We're called to co-love. We're called, and part of love is co-laboring exactly. with each other. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's just so beautiful because I don't. none of us know at this age, because I think you and I are about 30. We're about there. 
something like that. Yeah. All right. Whatever, y'all. Whatever. Exactly. Exactly. So, but by this, by a certain age, you know someone who's lost a child that's been stillborn. You know someone who's lost a child age eight because of cancer. Like you know somebody. Yes. And where are the resources? Exactly. And you created a beautiful one. So thank you so much for that. Yes. You're welcome. Thank you. So were you able to like allow yourself to to not work? Because again, for what you and I do for a living, we have to be in a place of connection when we walk in the room with the patient. Like we have to be well. Yes. And so just how did you take, I'm just curious, how did you take care of yourself during during that part of your life? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that, yeah, that, that part of my life, you know, thankfully I wasn't a practicing therapist. That would have been pretty dangerous. Yeah. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. So uh, luckily as I've gotten older and my practice more established, I've been able to create different self-care you know, I am a, a tennis player and, um, you know, try to exercise and hike and um, do fun stuff, hang out with our mutual friends, the Berries. We're going to yeah. Disney World in a couple right. of weeks. So that'll oh, be that's part great. of self care. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. we are, yeah, we're trying to create that. My practice, I've changed my practice a lot, basically, instead of just sitting with clients all day. Right. Um, I do phone consulting and then I just do intensive, intensive work, which I enjoy doing like eight hours of therapy much more than just kind of you know 45 minute sessions all day long right so um, that's part of me changing my schedule so I can be well Mm -hmm. um, so I can do more writing and more things that give me a lot of life yeah that's beautiful so the intensive that you're doing is that part of that because Mm -hmm. like to sit with someone who's struggling with narcissism like 45 minutes Mm -hmm. you're not going to get anywhere Sure. Yeah. 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 It's part of, you know, both, but basically we do, my wife and I do couples intensives all weekend in North Mm -hmm. Carolina and Seattle. And then, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I I work with individuals as well for intensive weekends um, and during, during the the day. So uh, yeah, I I just found it works better for my personality and uh, probably for the, you know, for the men as well. I mean, again, slow, long work is probably the best, Mm -hmm. but I also realizing like, I might not have the bandwidth to do that anymore. And that's okay. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's very much okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I kind of like to just hit the home runs and leave. So. Right. 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 So for <laughs> so. people that are, that are listening, like what, you know, what type of person would client wise, patient wise would need to contact you if they're hearing something in this? Cause yeah. I'm sure this is resonating with them. Who, who's, who's the best yeah. to contact you? Basically issues of pornography and male sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I work with a lot of that and then narcissism goes in with that, um, mm-hmm. obviously. And then, um, my wife and I do a lot of couples work and uh, abuse recovery and infidelity, you know, mm-hmm. recovery. So we've really just started to draw a lot of people who are recovering from infidelity, um, and issues. So, you know, our business is called the Christian counseling center for sexual health and trauma. Mm-hmm. And so we deal with a lot of trauma. We do narrative based work and also somatic body work. Mm-hmm. And so I've really been working on that for the last few years of incorporating body work into the trauma work that we do. And it's just been a beautiful, a beautiful mm-hmm. thing. So yeah, can you are, elaborate on that? Cause when you first started talking about the seven year old boy, that your little boy and talking about really it's yeah. true. Trauma is held in your body. And so exactly. And so I was trained uh, in uh, Allender methodology, and it's more a narrative story work approach, talk, you know, more classic talk therapy, mm-hmm. and just realizing that that wasn't enough right. for what I was coming into. And yet it was huge and very helpful, um, but I needed more tools in my toolbox. And so mm-hmm. I went and trained uh, in Oregon for a couple of years. And um, 
basically studied uh, more somatic body work. And so yeah. this is, yeah. you know, I, I remember this somatic group I was in working around the loss of my son mm. and uh, I was on the ground. It was a men's somatic group and I had eight men holding me down mm. as mm. he was having me talk to my son. And as I was screaming mm. and mourning, he was digging into my belly and feeling mm. for trauma in different Oof. parts of my belly. And he was, you know, digging, pushing deep into my belly and, you know, stuff like that. Or I remember another somatic group, um, a woman is working through her story of rape. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he had, the therapist had me uh, part of holding her down as she, you know, it was just like, oh my gosh, this is terrifying right? because she's reliving this most traumatic part and I can Mm -hmm. barely witness it. And yet I'll never be the same because I was able to witness her fighting back. I was able to witness her Going right. into the story and yet creating a different ending. That's right. Where That's she what's begins about. to reclaim her power, mm-hmm. not be powerless. That's right. Yeah. And so that's part of the somatic work is we take back our power. So the men's groups that I run, um, you know, we do a lot of wild stuff and break stuff yeah. and scream yeah. a lot and right. jump, you know, jump off things. And, you know, we do a lot of body stuff, which yeah. is part of part of the healing work. Yeah, it's really like you're a wonderful vessel helping people come alive neck down. That the answer is not always in our head. Sometimes we have to understand things on some level, but there's exactly. so much trap within. And so what happens for people just in general is pay attention to yourself. Like if you're talking about something and you're saying everything's okay and your leg is bouncing up and down, yep. your your body's having a response. Like it's fighting. It's, it has some reason why it's having movement in that moment. So exactly. it's very incongruent. Like we can say we're fine and we believe it, right. but our body has a different experience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I remember counseling a woman um, and we start going through her abuse narrative and, you know, I'm just having her check in with her own body. And all of a sudden she says, my right calf hurts. Mm. And I was like, Oh geez, this is weird. Like it's not yeah. working. Right. And then, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to lean into it. So I'm like, okay, tell me about your right calf. Mm-hmm. And we start leaning in and focusing on her right calf. And then she, she sits with it for a while and she says, that's where he grabbed me. Ooh, powerful. powerful. And I'm just like, you know, I doubted it, the process there in a mm-hmm. second. Mm-hmm. And yet I was like, oh, the body keeps the score, the right? The body the remembers. That's right. Great the book. The body remembers more yeah. than our mind. And so when we can give honor to the body, mm-hmm. when we can let the body have space, mm-hmm. you know, um, Tell the what what is what's the story of your breasts? What are, yep. what's the story of your penis? What's the story right. of your of your inner thought? Whatever it is, mm-hmm. your genitals, your your back, your mm-hmm. every part of your body, let them have voice. Yeah, that's right. Let them speak because yeah. they have story to tell. Right. That's right. And I have found, too, if you agree with this, that people who stay really busy, mm-hmm. not just work wise, like just stay really busy at home, always having to do something, et cetera, et cetera. Yes that that is because that there's some unco- you know it's unconscious but there's some fear of actually going towards what the real pain is and so we just exactly. stay busy yep yeah, yeah it's one of the those four trauma responses what yes. uh, flight fight, flight fawn you know, freeze fawn mm-hmm. freeze fawn, mm-hmm. you know that's the flight is when you mm-hmm. just stay super busy and try to just yeah. ignore and run away right absolutely Absolutely. And it's understandable why people do it. But I definitely learned through my alcoholism that I spent 14 years running from something that I could have talked about in 14 minutes. Yeah. Right. Right? I could at least put it on the table. Right. Right. Yeah. 
It takes a lot more effort to stay sick than it does to stay well. Yes, exactly. And that's what kind of mentioned earlier, like our, what we do um, to cope with our trauma is actually much more damaging than the trauma itself. Mm, Yeah. It's so powerful. It's so powerful. And at the same time, like, People give yourself grace about that. You only do what you know to do in the moment. Exactly. As we talked about, it's paradoxical. We do what we have to do to not feel the pain. Exactly. Right. And we do what we learned to survive and what we're given. Yeah. And until we're trained, until we're coached, until we're parented Mm -hmm. into a different way of being, we Mm -hmm. don't really know there's even, we don't even have that imagination that it can be different. That's right. That's right. And what he has for you, Ephesians 3, 20 through 21, is more than you could imagine. Yes. All right. And the things that stop us are the things that really, it is a lot of childhood development and it comes from the enemy because that's, that's why I think people have so much shame around their needs because once you start having your emotional needs met, then from that place, you will go out and add so much glory to the kingdom. Yes. Yeah. But we can't neglect ourselves and do that. Yeah. That's powerful. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's, it sounds like that you are honestly a phenomenal, you know, therapist and your ability mm-hmm. to, just sit so still with people and let it be about them mm-hmm. because you know who you are. It's mm-hmm. just such yes. a, such a gift, such a yeah. gift. And as you are looking for your own therapist folks out there, right. It's just like, it's so important for you to sit with someone who has done their own work yes, <laughs> because absolutely. there's I know many therapists and that some of them can be the most dangerous folks out there if they haven't. Mm-hmm. taken in their own life and done the hard work themselves. Right. Um, right. That's right. You're looking for a therapist that's invested in your healing, not invested if you did the homework or not, not invested yeah, exactly. if you did what they told you to do. Like it's about them being invested in you without them making it about themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And sadly, Andrew, it's hard to find. It's true. Yeah. It's, it, very, it very much is. Yeah. It's another reason why I'm so glad that, you're out there and the, our audience is learning more about you. Okay, yeah. so I'm going to put you in the hot seat. This is a therapist hot seat. So I'm going to ask you a series of questions and just whatever comes to mind first, just throw it out there. All right. All right, here we go. All right, first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word vulnerability. Hope. Hope. It's great. Mm. Favorite biblical vo- verse. Woo! Jesus wept. Short is the most powerful. Yes. Right. Yeah. What is on your nightstand? Whew. My kid has been doing homeschool, I mean, virtual school in my room, and he leaves all this half-eaten apples and <laughs> weird, you know, these drawings of uh, Mario and Pokemon yeah. are all over my right. bedstand. Well, that's great. Have you found <laughs> being a, a, a parent that, like, there were just moments like you were just intentionally doing things so differently, like just celebrating that it's really okay. He's he can have, you know, <laughs> apples by your bed without you having to having to freak out on them, kind of thing. Yes, yeah. yes. Most yeah. of the time, I I do a pretty good job, but right. yes, I, right, yeah. Only a, so many, only so many old band aids I can handle. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. All right. So, what surprises people the most about you? Um, I think I have a a good balance between being incredibly crass mm-hmm. and incredibly um, not not 
maybe sacred or holy. Like uh-huh. I, I can go in and out of both of those realities. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I'm quite comfortable with both of them. Yeah, that's, a, that's an eight thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> what surprises you the most about you? Oh, man. Sometimes I'm, I'm surprised that I'm still a Christian. Yeah. Um, sometimes I'm surprised that I am still alive mm. and mm. that I'm happy after yeah. um, so much of my life. I, I think often, like, I'm really thankful that I'm still here. Yeah, uh, amen. And being, being uh, in North Carolina uh, for this season of COVID, um, I've been confronted with a lot of my old story. Wow. And seeing a lot of my old places and uh, kind of old shame narratives mm. being there. And I'm just like, I think it gives me this, this pride, this really good, like, well done. Yeah, um, that's beautiful. Like, yeah. yeah. I'm really glad you're here, too. I really am. Mm-hmm. Okay. Are you willing, when you go to Disney with the berries, are you willing to wear Gamecock paraphernalia? <laughs> how much how much will you pay me oh two hundred dollars whatever it takes <laughs> to have you walk around the whole time with a gamecock shirt on around nicole berry i'm willing to pay for that i think she, <laughs> she'd appreciate that a lot <laughs> <laughs> all right last question for you when you hear flip your lid for now on what's that going to mean to you Whew. i mean i'm gonna think of you i'm gonna what better person from- to think of I'm going to take it away from uh, Dr. Siegel and give it give it to you now. That's right. I stole it from him. That's when I right. meet him, I'll thank him for... That's right. right it's yeah. yours. Yeah, I'm all about it. All right. Well, this has been amazing. <laughs> if our people want to contact you, they can definitely look at the notes below this podcast or with the YouTube. Yes. Um, but can you just throw out there real quick your yeah. Instagram uh, handle or anything you else? Can find me, yeah, andrewjbauman.com. Um, also, you can follow me on my uh, Facebook author page, is a pretty active community. And then uh, you can follow on our business as well, uh, christiancc.org, yeah. um, christiancc.org or Andrew J. Bauman. I write a bunch of blogs and stuff. You can follow there as yeah. well. A lot of free stuff for y'all out there from what he's done and check out his five yeah. books. And and so Andrew, thank you for being here. And to all of you that listen, thank you for being a part of Flip Your Lid. I feel sure that you heard something today that flipped your lid and allowed you to reconnect to who you really are. Thank you for listening to Flip Your Lid with Kim Honeycutt. Please subscribe, rate, and share. You can find Kim on Facebook or Instagram at KB Honeycutt. To get an autographed copy of Kim's book, visit butyourmotherlovesyou.com. Remember, no matter what, treat yourself well today.